1: Tonight on Fast, we're charting the comeback. Tech trading well off its lows, but the chartmaster says don't be fooled by this bounce. Why Carter Worth sees trouble lurking in the charts, plus a biotech bump, shares of Illumina jumping in the after-hours session. The company presenting right now at the JP Morgan Healthcare Conference, Illumina CEO will join us in a first-on CNBC interview. And later, ante up why this map shows it is game on for sports betting and the boom there. Welcome to Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, and Dan Nathan. Karen Feinerman will join us in just moments. We start off with a major tech turnaround on Wall Street. The Nasdaq down more than 2.7% at the lows of the session, clawing back the losses to end the day in the green. Tesla, Alphabet, Microsoft, Apple, all reversing major losses at the open to eke out gains on the day. And while the S&P and Dow did close lower, both were well off their lows of this session. So does a late day action give you any reason to be optimistic? Sort of like a Rorschach test guy. We love these things. How do you read this market message?
2: Yeah, and I loved him, and welcome back, Cottermel. How are you, by the way? Um, listen, I don't know, quite frankly, what to make of it today. I mean, I think you could look at this. I mean, if you're the optimist, you say, listen, we tested the lows. We bounced, meaningful bounce into Jerome Powell tomorrow. Great news ahead. Uh, all systems are go. I look at it and say, maybe the market was just squaring up ahead of Powell tomorrow, thinking potentially he could be more dovish than he's been, which, by the way, he could have probably only be more dovish. I'll push back and say... There's a chance you hear actually a more hawkish Jerome Powell tomorrow as he testifies in front of Congress because inflation now is a big concern. I'm not sure the market will come up. So, again, I'm not sure what to make of it. I'd love to have CBW's take on it. We're going to get it in a few minutes. But on the margins, it's not a bad thing that the market bounced like it did.
1: I mean, of course, a big part of today's action was yields piercing. Last year's high on the 10-year on um, the 174. And right now it's trading about 176. It's so still elevated, still above that level, Dan, How do you read this all? Because it does seem like the 10-year yield wants to go higher.
3: Well, it does until it just fell back to 1.75 after making those new highs, Mel. And, you know, I keep an eye on the Russell 2000, the small cap index, where it was much higher um, back in Q1 of 2021 when... the uh, 10-year U.S. Treasury yield was trading back at those levels. It just can't get out of its own way. And I think, you know, year over year, it's just that what the equity markets are doing relative to where rates expectations are going right now is not particularly bullish for stocks. And, you know, if you think about this kind of seesaw action that we saw today, in a way, it's like the markets are really trying to price in all of this news that we know is coming at least as far as the taper contemplating what a roll off means you know we just saw Goldman Sachs go to expectations for four quarter point rate hikes this year I don't think they're going that way and I think that's actually why the yields came in towards the end of the day it's a point about squaring off or at least the market squaring off before Powell we had a little knee-jerk reaction today um, in both bonds and in the stock market, and we'll see. I just don't expect him to go before Senate confirmation hearing, change his tune. We had that move last Thursday when the Fed minutes came out um, from last month here. I just, for their credibility's sake, they can't change it. So to me, I think equities are probably in this one step forward, two steps back, until we hit some sort of point where it feels really oversold, not on an intraday basis or a one-week basis, on a multi-month basis.
1: Yeah. Tim, what do you make of some of these turnarounds? Because on an individual basis, some of these big cap tech stocks, heroic turnarounds intraday. I,
4: I thought it felt oversold today. And, and yes, I think Dan's referring to these these big reversals. Mm-hmm. You know, these aren't necessarily what calls it. But remember, we got to the, the dreaded correction, uh, at least criteria intraday. We were down 10 percent from the November highs on the Nasdaq. And, and so I, I just think you have a dynamic here where, first of all, look, I think we have two Fed hikes by June. I think they're going to begin tapering uh, after that second hike, and, and I think there's a lot of that's in the market. But and I think today's move is indicative of the kind of stock market we have in 2022. It's the V in my my live acronym, which is volatility. I, I think we're going to have a lot of this, and I do think you have a dynamic though that ultimately it's very good for equity prices, uh, I, not volatility per se. But but again, higher rates and higher, uh, I would just say you know higher growth globally is what the story really is around rates. Yes, it's Fed-induced as well, but um, I think that rotation into more cyclical and industrial and the things that we've talked about it's very good but this market can take higher yields let's be clear I, I think you know we always talk about the velocity of these moves um that's part of the fear factor here but again um this is not fear of the fed hiking two times in 2022 even though i think we have a lot more volatility ahead of us
1: maybe it's the fear of the fed hiking four times in 2022 but i mean i, I get your i get the point there because I mean, Strategas has this interesting stat where they say there has been four distinct Fed rate hike cycles in the past. And in every one of those rate, rate hike cycles, on average, technology is one of the top performing sectors. So why should it be different this time around, Guy? Why is there this panic around rising rates? If it's, as Tim mentions, it, they're rising for a reason. The economy is doing okay or well. And so, theoretically, technology should do well.
2: That's a fair question. I think to answer it, I think for many of the technology names that we talk about, so much of it has been predicated on low rates, and you have these high growth, high valuation names that, you know, valuation doesn't matter in a zero interest rate environment. But when rates move precipitously to the upside, all of a sudden people are taking notice. And listen, don't have to take my word for it. If you just look at some of the names in the ARK ETF, and again, not to cast aspersions at all, her performance over the last seven years has been brilliant. But so many of those names fit the description I just gave high growth high valuation tech names that in a zero interest rate environment are fine when rates start to move that's problematic and you see so many of those names are down anywhere from 30 to 70 percent and intraday today I think ARC made another new 52 week low so to me that's what's going on now whether it's justified or not remains to be seen All right
1: well the QQQ ETF crashing through a key level today before recovering some of the losses but the chart master says beware of this bounce We want to get Carter Worth's take on all this, Carter Worth and Worth charting. Carter, you sent out a note, I believe it was 1021 AM, not to the penny. And so you're highlighting the trend break that the NASDAQ 100 was making. What happened in the end with this massive turnaround?
5: Right, so for the first time, before we look at the charts, for the first time in basically 18 months, uh, the QQQ, uh, while it recovered intraday, uh, broke a key trend line. And so the question is, is the recovery the primary data point, Or is it the breach of the line and the recovery is the secondary data point? That's my hunch, uh, that the breach is uh, the more important and uh, the good recovery into the close less important. Um, Let's look at three charts. So this is the QQQ with the 150-day moving average. Think of it as an automated trend line. Uh, It has come down to the penny repeatedly. And today, for the first time in 18 months, it undercut the line, closed above it. Uh, but it's the first time in a year and a half where we breach that line. Look at the next chart. It's identical. This is the actual trend line. The point of a moving average is you're automating the process of drawing lines. You could stay up all night drawing lines. I had to do that when I started in 1989. But computers do it for us now. The moving average should track the actual trend line. Not once has the QQU touched the 200-day. It really doesn't have the hit rate, that the, the 150. So here's the question, final chart. Um, This is looking at the QQQ. It's a ratio chart, so you're you're not looking at a security itself. You're looking at the QQQ's relative performance, the index, to the S&P 500. And what is so fascinating is that we, in the past 18 months, have gotten back to the dot-com peak, and now we are churning there. The bear would say you're putting in a double top. What I think we're doing is actually just consolidating and ultimately the question is looking out over 36 months is the S&P a better bet, SPY or QQQ? Ultimately, I want to stick with growth. I want to stick with innovation and that's where uh, the QQQ comes into play.
1: Wow. Carter, thank you. Carter you Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. Is that where you want to be, Dan? Ultimately,
3: Yeah, I think 100%. I think the big question here is that what sort of excess can be worked off in the near term? We know that some of the smaller market cap components of the NASDAQ 100, the QQQ, have been down four 30%, 40%, 50%, 30%, 40%, 50%, some. I mean, Zoom at its lows today was down like nearly 70%. This was a massive market story. This was a company with over a $100 billion market cap at its highs. So I think it's really important to put some different things in context. So if we want to work off some excess, the next place it has to happen are these largest components in the NASDAQ 100. And it's worth noting that, you know, the NASDAQ had a 12.5% peak to trough decline last Q1, 2021, when rates were going. Higher here, and then every subsequent sell off that it had, it had an 8.5%, then a 7.5%, then it had like a 6.5%. So it would make sense if we were going to go back towards the lows from, let's say, late September, early October, that would be about a 13% peak to trough decline. If that were to happen, that means you have outsized moves from Apple, from Microsoft, from Amazon, from Google, and maybe Nvidia and Tesla, and throw those in there. And so that would be a very healthy setup for all of those strategists who have year end targets somewhere about above 5,000, maybe as high as (laughs) 5,500.
1: If the chairwoman were here, and by the way, she's having camera difficulties. We didn't forget about her. She had made the comparison last week, I believe, to the dot-com bubble and and the way the sell-off has been feeling uh, in technology these days. Uh, And Tim, I'm wondering you know, where you think, obviously, there's going to be the rubble, there's going to be the pets.com out there, those types of stocks that may never really fully recover back to its heyday. Um, but there will be others, like the Amazon.coms that emerge, the Microsofts, etc., that are stronger, as Dan had mentioned, if there's excess worked off.
4: Yeah, look, I, I think a lot of these internet stocks uh, and uh, ones that are also related to security and and software. I mean, look, Palantir is a real company, and and you know, I actually think um, Zillow is a real company, and we've talked about Zoom, and and I just think this is absolutely 2.0. If you look at uh, and .com crash 2.0, if you if you look at, you could put together a basket of stocks um, that were some of the high flyers that are down anywhere from 65 to 80 percent off their 52 week highs, and and it's a function of. For First of all, those valuations never made sense. Uh, It's also a function of where we've seen rotation in the market that's been going on, not for six weeks, but more likely six months. In fact, really, most of this stuff peaked um, right around the time we got the first Kind of market, you know, Fed fear, and this started to happen in April and May. Um, so I do think that the the higher rate environment is something that's not great for these stocks, but it's setting up it for a great opportunity. And, and I think a lot of investors need to understand, first of all, you know, which are the companies that are real, that are um, secular stories, that, that that the trend is anything is is as good or better now. And, and I think that's really how you have to play it. But but multiples are important at some point, and this is an this is a market environment right now where uh, those high multiples are punished.
1: Yeah. Guy, are there high multiple stocks right now where you would say, you know what, that looks interesting, even here, even with the volatility ahead?
2: Yeah, too. NVIDIA, I think, had a nice reversal today, but it's Amazon. And kudos to Dan Nathan. And this is sort of crawling through the wreckage for you Dave Edmonds fans. And you're crawling through it and you find Amazon today, which traded down to the May low, traded down to the August low, bounced off this 31.50 or so level. You know, Dan have been saying you're looking for an opportunity around 3200 I think you got it today. So there are names that have been trading. We've t- talked about them seemingly for the last month and a half, two months, that have very quietly been trading lower. You might have gotten your opportunity in both those names today.
1: All right. Our next guest sees more trouble lurking in tech. Julian Emanuel joins us in his new role as chief equity derivatives and quantitative strategist at Evercore ISI. He left BTIG in October. Julian, great to have you with us.
6: Great to be back with you and the team. All right. Side.
1: So you have your price targets out with your new gig. Your best case scenario, you are one of those strategists, by the way, with an S&P target above 5,000. Your best case is 55.09. Your worst case scenario is 35.75. In the best case, 55.09, what What does the backdrop to that look like? You have to have, I would assume, the leadership of technology be in place?
6: Uh, it, it doesn't have to be leadership as we've known it the last couple years it needs to be at least a market perform but what that really is is if you go back we've talked about this a lot we've been talking about this a lot for about a year now all these elements of the similarities to 1999 and 2000 and the critical element here that would get us to that kind of overshoot is if the public which has been a major player For the last year and a half it's something we spotted at the end of 2019 before the pandemic um really emotionally embraces they've they've put their money where their mouth is but they haven't really committed sort of every last dollar in the way that was the case in 99 and 00 if you get that kind of emotion uh particularly if the pandemic turns endemic at mid-year that's how you get that kind of overshoot.
1: So the difference between your base case of 5,100 and your upside case of 5,500 plus is the notion that the retail investor will go head in every last dollar into the stock market?
6: Uh, that's right. Look, we've seen a very vigorous participation for the last year and a half um, without actually the, the concurring emotions that you tend to get with that kind of participation. If you get that emotional surge and if you get bounce back trades in some of these stocks that we were talking about areas the market down 50 60 70% and we're not saying that there's going they're going to be the leaders they aren't but if you get those stocks to bounce back along with the perception that the Fed isn't going to derail the rally in any way shape or form that's how you get that kind of emotional surge.
4: Hey, Julian. It's Tim. Nice to have you back. Happy New Year. Is is any of this scenario analysis um, a function of inflation staying static? In other words, are, where where do you do with inflation at at six point nine or seven point one or whatever we're getting this week? Um, and is that part of a, a downside scenario if it stays sticky? Uh,
6: it, it absolutely is because what we don't know is is the Fed going to underreact or overreact? And obviously the this whole idea of inflation being caused by a number of factors uh, supply chain disruptions among them which is really showing some of the first green shoots uh, of easing up uh, we don't know how that plays out but ultimately to get stock prices to move to those kinds of extremes on the upside through our price target you're going to need a perception that inflation is going to moderate. We actually do think it moderates uh, later in the year, but stays high for an extended period. But the market in general, given the earnings power, given the economic momentum, can withstand that scenario.
1: 5,100, which sector gets us there? What Which sector is leadership?
6: We actually like value here. We think that uh, the price action you've seen uh, in December it, to start the new year uh, really carries through for the balance of the year we think financials look very very interesting they've had a great run recently uh, though those stocks still in comparison to their weighting, are barely off of their financial crisis lows industrial is very interesting to us they should have been an outperformer in the second half of the year they weren't because of the supply chain worries those are going to abate that's a, a sector that plays catch up and healthcare defensive and uh, immune to interest rate moves and geopolitics
1: all right julian good to see you happy new year thank you julian emmanuel you. of evercore isi um guy i know what you're going to say you say i dig julian do you dig what he wants you to buy this year you
2: know it's funny i dig julian uh, <laughs> you're so in my head it's scary oh, no. after 15 years i i'm with him listen i would add energy to that i'm sure that somewhere in those industrials maybe energy lies but Healthcare, to me, was an outperformer all day today, if you look, some of these big cap pharma names. So I'm not sure those co- in the collective can get us to 5500 but I do like those sectors without question.
1: Yeah, what do you make of Julian's premise that if the retail investor went full on in the market, that we get to 5500 Plus, there's the notion that the Fed won't derail the rally. 5500 is that realistic under that scenario in your view, Dan?
3: Yeah, but not from here, Mel. I mean, really need the, the the retail investor. You know, they're the ones that were chasing these meme stocks. They're the ones who are tracing crypto. They're the ones who are chasing a lot of stuff that's down. 30 40 50%. And, and I just feel like it's really easy to say that we had all these new entrants into the markets over the last couple of years and their uh, consumer balance sheets were buffeted and they had nothing to do and they had easy on-ramps and the democratization of information, and everything like that. That's all fine and good until the stuff that you own gets absolutely bludgeoned. And that's what's happened under the surface. And then if you think about passive investing, that's one of the reasons why the S&P is only down 3%, but yet all of these stocks that individuals own have gotten killed. And so that, that has to kind of work its way out a little bit. And so you can name... All of those value sectors—you can name energy and industrials and and financials—they're still not going to get this market to 5,500 at any point in the next five years if you don't have those mega-cap names. And I know that there are some new ones emerging. I know that Facebook is nearly a trillion. I know that Tesla is a trillion. I know that Nvidia is 700,000 or 700 billion. And ultimately, though, all of those names, for the most part, have massively outperformed everything else. So I just don't know how you get back up there if you. Don't don't have those names participate, but they need to probably rally from lower levels in my opinion.
1: All right, we've got an after hours alert on Intel. Those shares are soaring on news of a new CFO. Christina Partsenevelis got the details. Christina
7: Oh, thank you. Oh, you saw Intel shares actually climb 5%, so they're easing off a little bit this after the company announced a new hire. David Zinsner will be Intel's new executive vice president and chief financial officer. He holds pretty much over 20 years of experience in the semiconductor space, but it's pretty much a CFO switcheroo. Zinsner was the finance head of Micron, but a quick search online shows his bio has already been taken down from Micron's website. His departure sending shares of Micron down about 1% after after Hours Trading. Micron says its chief business officer and executive BP, VP, Summit Sandana will serve as interim CFO while the company searches for a new CFO. Meanwhile, David Zinsner will take on the role of finance head at Intel starting January 17th. Intel, though, today was one of the bright spots on the NASDAQ 100, but it's still almost about 20% from its 52-week high. Melissa?
1: All right, Christina, thank you. Tam, what do you make of this move?
4: I don't know that this is a market-changing move, and again, Intel was was actually in the green during the, the bloodbath earlier in the day before this news was announced. But, but clearly, look, when you consider uh, the drivers for Intel over the next three or four years, it's a massive CapEx program, and certainly when it comes to you know, the C-suite and how they're going to manage the balance sheet, I, I think it's very important. I, I think Intel is one of those stories in chip land where uh, Folks that are looking for rebuilt foundry, real rebuilt importance, and the dynamics at Intel that really have had them underperforming TSM and some of the other peers uh, are slowly starting to turn. I, I think really it is a rotation story, and I, I wouldn't put a ton of, of uh, you know credence behind the CFO move as the move in the stock.
1: All right. We've got another after-hours alert on Rivian. Those shares are dropping in the after-hours session. Phil LeBeau is on the fast line with the details. Phil?
8: Melissa, the reason Rivian shares are under pressure is because we have confirmed what was first reported by Dow Jones about an hour ago, that the former COO, a gentleman named Rod Copes, uh, has left the company, left the company in December as they were ramping up production of the R1T, the R1S, and they're getting ready for the first deliveries of the Amazon electric delivery vans. The significance here is twofold. First of all, anytime the COO of a manufacturing company leaves. Uh, It raises questions. Why was he leaving? Rivian sent us a statement saying that Rod Cope's departure was months in the planning process. By the way, he became COO in mid-June after 19 years in the motorcycle industry. So it wasn't with Rivian terribly long, a little over a year, year and a half. Uh, The other question that is raised by this is when did he depart? Remember, the company reported its Q3 results, also had a conference call with analysts, I believe, on December 16th. Was it after that, and why was it not released in a statement saying Rod Copes has left the company? Why was there no mention of it during the uh, conference call with analysts? So those are a couple of the questions that are out there after this news that the COO of Rivian has departed, and at this point, the company is saying that his duties will be shared by the rest of the management team. There are no plans at this point to name a specific person as the next, as the next chief operating officer. Melissa, back to you.
1: Phil, thank you. Phil Abo. Certainly plenty of ways to explain this move away guy and make it seem like nothing. At the same time, you can take a look at it and think, this is a COO who's departing amidst the, one of the biggest, its first, most important, arguably, product r- ramps in this young company's history. Why?
2: Yeah, the bears will say, uh, you know, abandoning ship. Other people say, you know, not a big deal. Again, all I know is this. I think we've done a decent job with this name in terms of sort of guiding people from the fall on. Question is, when is you going to see the capitulation in the name? Maybe on the back of this news, it comes tomorrow. Uh, for you that want to play the home game, stock typically trades about 25 million shares a day. I, th- I think you're looking for a day where it trades north of 65, 70 million shares, which again might be tomorrow. On a new 52-week low, that could be a capitulation. Until then, you stay away still.
1: All right, coming up, Lululemon shares losing steam. Will this trade work out? The details next and later. We're heading to the biggest healthcare conference in the world. The CEO of Illumina joins us for a first on CNBC interview. Stick around. Much more Fast Money straight ahead.
9: Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy.
10: Welcome
1: back to Fast Money. We've got a buzzkill on Lululemon. Shares tumbling after the retailer said it expects Q4 earnings and sales to come in at the low end of its previous estimates. The company experiencing major staffing shortages and reduced store hours due to the spread of the Omicron variant. Karen, um, what do you make of this?
10: Well, Lululemon obviously is a great retailer. So if they're having issues, I can't imagine that others won't as well. And if they're gonna miss because of that, they actually, it might be a little worse than it seems because Lulu has an excellent online business. And so to the extent that they can do online sales when they can't do in-store sales, that would help Lulu versus a company that doesn't have the great online presence that they do. So this may be a lot worse for other retailers and really bad for restaurants. And now I don't know if the market's going to give a free pass, an Omicron free pass for you know not having a uh, utilization as high as they could for stores, and for restaurants. I'm not sure. But I also then I look at how far Lululemon is down, and it's still not cheap. It's never going to be cheap. It's a premium company, but at 40 times earnings, even here, even with this this um, the hit they took today, I still can't quite get there. It
1: seems like um, if Lululemon is going to warn. On this, that opens a floodgates for a lot of the other retailers' guide to take cover.
2: Right, exactly. And Karen makes a great point. I mean, if if almost the best in breed is saying this, what does it mean for everybody else? So a couple things. In terms of the level, I think the March low in Lululemon was about 290 or so. Uh, Maybe we get there. I think the stock was down to 325 today. So there's that shot, given valuation now a concern. And XRT is what you have to be focused on. We talked about it specifically on December 20th. We said it was imperative that it held 80. It didn't. It bounced. But here we are back around the 85 level. So if Karen's right in her assertion that XRT has a bullseye towards the $80 level on the downside.
1: Uh, Does this get you a little worried about Nike, Tim? I mean, just speaking of best in breed retailers, even with a strong online presence, if Lululemon's going to warn, maybe a Nike can do it, too.
4: Well, first of all, that Nike chart is. There's a lot to be concerned about, and mm-hmm. it's it's kind of in you know in no man's land. And I think the dynamic here is that Nike has endured some of these same dynamics, and it's you know we'd all like to have Nike and Lululemon's problems, but I think when you're trading at the multiples that they are, and again, you know Nike's somewhere around 33 to 34 times. I mean, this is this is why the stock's stuck here. I, I, I just think that a lot of the dynamics we're talking about with with labor, with with hours, especially on the Lululemon side, are 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 certainly temporary. I think if you look at there are other retailers out there, there are other people, you know, Crocs guided higher, figs guided higher, despite the fact that I'm not sure who's wearing, you know, fashion scrubs, but apparently a lot of people. So um, I I think this is not a universal story, but I think the higher multiple stocks are always going to be vulnerable
1: or Crocs, Crocs, Dan, you wearing Crocs these days, but apparently they're, they're guiding higher. People want him, um, but does this does this spell trouble in your view for even the weak retailers that may not have the multiple problems that Lululemon and Nike have?
3: Yeah, I mean, near term. I mean, we we know that because of the fear of supply chain issues, um, we saw a lot of consumer behavior in front of the holidays pulled forward into November. So December's data is probably going to look a little weak. And then maybe the consumers spent a lot of that cash that they had sitting on their own balance sheets at a time where we know that stimulus has just been running off. And, you know, Karen mentioned something about restaurants. And I'll just say another high premium sort of restaurant would be Starbucks. That stock has not confirmed a new high in the S&P 500. In months, and it's down about 15 or 16 percent from its highs, um, you know, earlier in the fall or so. And that's one I think that is also, you know, grappling a little bit with valuation and expected growth that is not there. This is, uh, I think, expectations for the current fiscal year are kind of mid, uh, mid single digits for earnings and sales growth. Again, trading at 30 some times. So, um, you know, we're going to have bits and starts. I think again, there's other names outside of technology, and this is this segment really highlights it where valuation is becoming an increasing concern in a year where we are just seeing all sorts of metrics decelerating all right
1: we are just getting started here on fast money here's what's coming up next
2: coming up betting boom online sports gambling officially goes live in the empire state what you need to know and how to profit from the frenzy ahead plus red hot healthcare in focus the JP Morgan Healthcare Conference kicking off today. We'll be joined by the CEO of Illumina next. More fast money after the break.
0: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. You'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Illumina jumping more than 2.5% in the after-hour session. Let's get to Meg Terrell with the first on CNBC interview with Illumina CEO, Meg
11: Mel, thanks so much. And Francis D'Souza joins us now. Francis, it seems like that stock jump uh, really came after your presentation at the JP Morgan conference, where you came out with guidance ahead of expectations. Uh, Tell us what's driving uh, the outperformance beyond the streets expectations in the last quarter and the upcoming year.
12: Yeah, Hi, Meg. You're right. Uh, I think the street was pleasantly surprised by the strength in both the 2021 numbers, where we announced uh, revenue that grew 39% over the previous year, and then the strength in the guidance for this year, where we guided for 14 to 16% growth, which was uh, significantly ahead, I think, of where expectations were. I think a few things are playing out, and, and if you look at last year, you know every quarter last year we ended up beating expectations, raising expectations, and then beating them again. So what we're seeing playing out is something we saw play out starting last year where firstly we're seeing an expansion of reimbursement for genomic testing. So last year we crossed a milestone where there are over one billion people now around the world that have reimbursement for some kind of genomic testing. And and that's continuing to grow. And we said that that expects to get to 2 billion in a few years. So a lot more people have access to genomic testing, whether it's to select the right therapy for cancer or for genetic disease testing for the 5% of the population that has genetic diseases or NIPT. And that's probably one of the biggest drivers of the growth in our core business, just more access to the tests to expanded reimbursement.
11: Mm. Well, of course, another area where your technology is used and that I like to ask you a lot about is um, the sequencing of different variants and the tracking, the surveillance of what's going on with this pandemic. You noted in your presentation today marks the two year anniversary that the first sequence of the coronavirus was posted online uh, from China from folks who are using Illumina's systems and technology. How would you grade the kind of genomic sequencing and surveillance uh, we've ramped up since then? Is it where it needs to be or does it have further to go?
12: Yeah, well, Meg, it's hard to believe, you're right, that it's been two years uh, since uh, the researchers in China identified SARS-CoV-2 and, and sequenced it using Illumina machines. And you know, we've come a long way in terms of before that, almost nobody had sequencing surveillance infrastructure in any country around the world. And if you look today, you know, over 117 countries around the world are now using Illumina to do genomic surveillance for COVID. So we're, we're you know, making a lot of progress, and some countries are, are well ahead of others. I think the UK started in the spring of 2021 and laid out the first uh, genomic surveillance infrastructure in the world, and other countries are catching up, but they're catching up quickly. And, and if you look even in Africa, for example, you now have sequences from 51 out of the 54 countries in Africa. And so we're laying a global infrastructure for pathogen detection. That's going to be essential in terms of helping us get out of this pandemic. But equally importantly, it's laying an in infrastructure for global pathogen surveillance that'll help us identify future outbreaks more quickly. And that could be the next coronavirus, it could be emerging uh, antimicrobial resistance, or it could be a bioterrorist attack. And although we won't be able to prevent future outbreaks, we should commit to making this the last pandemic. And genomic sequencing is the essential part of that.
11: Well, amen to that. Uh, You know, I also want to ask you just about the sort of future of Illumina uh, in terms of you provide a lot of tools for doing all of this work, but you also provide products like Grail's Gallery early blood um, cancer detection, not blood cancer, but blood tests to detect early cancer. Uh, Should we expect more from Illumina along that front in the future, actually developing products to offer?
12: Yeah. I think one of the things that probably investors, you know, would would like from from the announcements we made is that, as you point out, the opportunity set for Illumina continues to grow because genomics is emerging as a fundamental tool for so many areas of healthcare. We're used today in in cancer to match cancer patients to the right treatments, in genetic disease diagnosis. Uh, We're used in non-invasive prenatal testing. We're used to fight infectious disease like this pandemic. Uh, but the number of areas continue to expand where genomics can add value. We're doing research in cardiovascular disease and how uh, genomics can play an important role there. Uh, we're also expanding into the proteins, uh, the, the proteomics market, through our announcements uh, with, with uh, SomaLogic today. So the number of markets that we're addressing continues to expand. And, and as you pointed, out, one of the more exciting ones is the market we're addressing with GRAIL. So last June, Grail launched Gallery, which is the world's first multi-cancer early detection blood test. So it's a blood test and it's on the market now uh, that, that you can do that'll tell you that can help detect one of 50 different types of cancer. Now, 45 of those cancers, like pancreatic cancer for example, some really deadly cancers have no other screen. And and Grail has a less than 1% mm-hmm. false positive rate. And so we announced today that, you know, Grail is off to a really strong start that they are signing up employers. They've signed up eleven employers, including U-Haul. I know we at Illumina have rolled the test out internally to our employees. They've signed up a number of healthcare providers. So last year, fifteen hundred uh, there were fifteen hundred prescribing providers of the Grail test, you know, to people to use it as a screen. In addition, they've signed up some healthcare systems, so uh, they announced the Knight Cancer Center uh, today, that's part of the uh, OSHU up in Oregon and, 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 and the Knight Cancer Center joins other partners like the Mayo Clinic and the Cleveland Clinic uh, that are embracing the Grail test. And so real strong mm-hmm. traction of that test in the market. Now we know Catching cancer early can make a diff- big difference in survival rates. And so there's a lot of excitement about how a test like Grail could help save lives going forward. And, and the fact that it's got good early traction, ex- exceeding expectations that investors had, I think, was very well received.
11: All right, Francis Tazouza, thanks so much, as always, for joining us. We look forward to hearing about more of these updates uh, going forward. Thanks again. Thank you, Meg. Now back to you. All right, Meg, thanks.
1: Meg Terrell with the CEO of Illumina. Um, this is interesting. A lot of analysts on the street were, were thinking that Illumina would make some big news here at the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference guy. They're sort of saying, you know what, they're, they've been steering towards conferences in terms of new products, in terms of um, financial guidance, and here we have it. Um, at the same time, a lot of analysts on the street have neutral or underweight ratings on this one.
2: That's exactly right. You hit the nail on the head. Underweight, neutral. Still, I think the average price target, Mel, I think is about $435 or so. Listen, aluminum is an amazing company, alumina. The problem is valuation is expensive. I think it's trading close to 90 times next year's numbers. The question is is the 32% sell off from the high of 555 this summer enough? I do think you're going to see a relief rally here. I don't think you're going to get the 435. But I do think you can get about 400 or so. If that's enough for you, I think you can own the stock here.
1: All right, coming up, game on, a sports betting boom. is sweeping New York State. We'll bring you the data on how to profit next. Plus, shares of Tilray blazing higher should you roll this pot stock into your portfolio. We'll hash out that trade next. Welcome back to Fast Money. It is game on for the sports betting boom. New York seeing a huge turnout in its first weekend of legalized mobile gambling. Contessa Brewer's got all the details. Contessa.
7: Oh, this weekend, Melissa, the digital turnout for the launch of mobile sports betting in New York absolutely crushed expectations. It wasn't even close. Take a look at the locations of the betting action. This comes to us from GeoComply. 17 million bets over 36 hours. Estimates are with a 51% state tax rate, New York will bring in more from two days of mobile sports betting than it has in two and a half years of in-person wagers at upstate casino sportsbooks. Now, the technology was not totally smooth. In fact, I wasn't the only one complaining that my Caesars app did not recognize that I was actually in New York state and could legally wager. CEO Tom Reed called it a pinch point and promised it's all going to go better still caesars had a million bets more volume than all 20 other states where it operates combined it nearly doubled its nevada take and look in nevada caesars gets 50 percent plus market share the industry already estimated that in a few years new york could overtake new jersey in terms of the amount of money wagered but it may achieve that even faster melissa than expected if this weekend is any indication don't forget, Alabama and Georgia play tonight in the College Championship Game. Both 13 and one. Another chance here for DraftKings and FanDuel, BetRivers and Caesars to gauge the appetite for sports betting in New York. Melissa,
1: 8 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Contessa, you know that the beauty of mobile gaming is that you can do it inside. From inside, not on the street.
7: Yeah. But, you know, look at this beautiful New York live shot. If I were inside, you would be seeing the inside of my beautiful New York living room. Just, <laughs> nice. cha- cha- just got to change it up a little bit.
1: Yeah. Contessa, thank you. Contessa Brewer. There are two ways to look at this, Tim. You know, maybe it's a novelty of, of being able to bet in New York that drew people in. But at the same time, you know, even Caesars had some technology issues. There could have been even more bets placed.
4: Yeah, I, I get it, but but th- this turnout was enormous, and you have to love the 51% take by the state. Every other state in the country that's not gone legal yet is is staring at this and drooling. And and this is the story for you know a DraftKings, which I'm long, and it's been a very frustrating investment over the last. You a know, few months, but, but again, it's, it's taking that addressable market, and, and it's a bit of a, of a market grab right now. So um, it, it's certainly a case where the profitability is something that is, is very challenging, but you're buying the long term growth, and it's going to be a huge game tonight. I don't know. Do you think, uh, do you think the SEC team's going to win tonight, Mel?
1: You saw my first and only sports tweet ever, 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 <laughs> that I've ever done in the history of Twitter, my history on Twitter, that is, not the history of Twitter, obviously. Roll Tide, that's all I have to say. Yes. Two words. Yes, I know. Um, just quickly, Karen. Yes. Do you like any of these uh, sports betting plays? I mean, 51% I tax,
10: and yet the turnout was that huge? Yeah, I mean, that's pretty impressive. I think, for, well, for me, I have MGM, which actually has that MGM product product, but that was not yet eligible, hopefully very soon, because obviously there's a lot of business to do here. Although that stock has sort of gone sideways, maybe been a little bit trapped in the Omicron as things were reopening very strongly and now maybe a little bit softer, but that's how I'm playing it. All right, coming up, the cannabis
1: climb. Shares of Tilray burning higher on some surprise profits. So is this the pot stock to bet on? We will break it down. Plus, looking for some protection plays as stocks sell off. Mike Coe is gonna lay out how to do it using options. That is next. Do not go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Let's take one more look at today's action. Stocks finishing the day off the lows. And the Nasdaq even rallied into the green. But that didn't stop options traders from looking for protection against further downside in some very interesting places. Mike is here to break it down. Mike.
2: Yeah. So I was taking a look at LQD. This is the investment grade bond ETF now, this thing saw about eight times the average daily put volume. That was largely the result of a single trade in the March 129-125 put spread. We saw a buyer of 70,000 of those spending a dollar fifteen. Buyers of those are obviously betting that LQD could move down towards that lower strike price by March expiration. That's a move comparable to the one that we've seen since December 3rd as LQD has fallen. That was a move of about 45 basis points in the 10-year. However, the investment grade spread did narrow somewhat. But that's the kind of interest rate move you'd be looking for to see it trade down to that level.
1: Mike, thanks for that. Mike Co. for more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, Tilray's big jump. The pot stocks surging higher on earnings will break down the trade when fast money returns. Welcome back. Here's a sneak peek at the Kramer cam. Jim is chatting with Kevin Sayer, the CEO of Dexcom. Catch the full interview, top of the hour on Mad Money. And don't forget, you can have Kramer delivered right to your inbox at the CNBC Investing Club. Sign up now with the information on your screen. Well, shares of Tilray right, topping the tape today, the cannabis company posting an unexpected quarterly profit before the bell this morning. Tim, what's your take?
4: Well, look, they beat, and some of this was just SGNA synergies from their merger. But look, you know, best profit in, in Canada. It's a story that I think they have pricing power even while they've lost a little bit of market share. It's hard to get really excited about the addressable market opportunity in Canada. Uh, they have 40% export growth. They are probably the leading global cannabis company in terms of what they're doing in, in, in Israel, what they're doing in Europe. Uh, and Erwin and Simon knows brands. So they've made a couple acquisitions in the spirits space that I think have largely been misunderstood as, as some way to kind of backdoor into US THC cannabis. I think it's about buying companies that are accretive to the balance sheet. So look, I, I'm long the stock at my cannabis ETF. Uh, I think it's been a very difficult ride for, for Tilly over the last couple months. And this is, a, this is a relief bounce for sure.
1: All right, up next, final trades. Time for the final trade, Tim.
4: Good luck tonight, Mel. Intel, value play in mega cap tech and a new CFO.
3: Dan. Yeah, XBI holding 100.
10: Karen. Yeah, sorry for that technical mishap. I'm like, I'm afraid <laughs> Pfizer. That's a off at the same time.
2: Guy. Do you wear like an Alabama jersey when you watch the games? Just out of curiosity. Are you one of those fans? Houndstooth. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I don't know about the game tonight, but I know Disney
0: wins. the (laughs) Disney, T-I-S. Thanks for watching. Fast. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you.